Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, um, so we talked about marijuana last time. Oh, this thing's all. I gotta use that. So, uh, and we talked about this slide. This slide basically just indicates that marijuana use is common. This is the states, and it's a little higher in Canada. It's not a lot higher. Um, curves more up about here in Canada. Uh, these are data from 20. And that I got actually from Nate Silver's blog, 538.com. Um, now, for the longest time, marijuana was styled as this, was portrayed, and often a lot of people believe this stuff, portrayed as this. Is the left supposed to be an advertisement for, or? <laughs> I know. <laughs> wild orgies. Weird, weird orgies, wild parties. Unleashed passions. I have never seen anybody unleash any passion except for food when they're high. I, I've just never seen that. I also like how apparently you're mainlining marijuana with this hypodermic needle here. Um, marijuana, weed with roots in hell. This is great. Uh, this is a. This is great. Reefer Madness is a movie that is a. Um, there's again drug crazed abandoned. I don't know what's going on with her eyes. <laughs> There's something going on there. Uh, again, Reefer Madness is actually this 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 uh, movie is in the public domain. It's at archive.org, so you can watch it totally legally. You can also torrent it. It's totally legal. It's one of the few things you can torrent besides a Linux distro that's legal to torrent. Um, you should watch it because it's funny. Um, I have seen this one. But this one's funnier. Uh, women cry for it, men die for it. Yes, that's right, marijuana. Um, the funny thing about this, there's so many funny things. This guy's the drug dealer, by the way. Spoiler alert, this guy's the drug dealer. Uh, he sells pre-rolled joints that look just like cigarettes. Like, so they're really thick, really fat. And he has them in a cigarette case, which is kind of classy. You get your joints in a cigarette case. I think it's a little classy. And um, people smoke it like this. Now, I will tell you, by the way, here's a tip. You don't have to hold it in. It doesn't increase the absorption. I, I know I'm giving you tips on how to smoke marijuana, but you don't really have to do that. You can smoke it the way you, you inhale it and you blow it out. You wait people smoke a cigarette. Um, anyway, people do all kinds of crazy things. One of the, It's more like this movie, this one portrays it as if It's meth. Like it showed, the effects look a lot more like speed. So people get really, <laughs> they really they get all Rob Ford on you. And it's amazing because one of my favorite scenes, I want to tell you how it ends because I really don't want to spoil it because the ending is so surreal and, and actually and funny as hell. It's supposed to be tragic. That's all I'm going to say. You would probably guess. But it's very funny. You should try, try to watch it. Um, but people... She, he, she starts playing the piano really fast because she's stoned. Because people, as you know, really move quickly when they're stoned. And she's playing the piano really quickly. And he just keeps saying, while well, smoking his giant joint, play faster. Play faster. <laughs> play faster. 
disaster. I love that moment. Um, and my friends and I, we watched this movie, and it would be something we said all the time to each other. It was just whenever we saw a piano, uh, to this day, whenever any of us see a piano, we just go, play faster. So you should see that movie. Uh, this one's a little harder to find, uh, but I have seen it. We rented it from the video store back in the 80s. Um, it's a daring drug expose, this one. Uh, so This is great, too, because it starts out with a guy from the American Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education, an old guy talking about marijuana, and that's how he talks. That, that's just funny to begin with, right? So you should see those movies. Um, is that first movie there? Did they actually show them injecting it? No, it's just, it's a, that's a poster, okay. you know, it's... How old are those movies? 1930s. Uh, uh, I believe Reefer Madness is 1937. Which corresponds to when the Marijuana uh, Tax Act. <laughs> I will say, uh, also, uh, people did... It, it was becoming popular. And like a lot of drugs that become popular, uh, as long as it doesn't isn't uh, consumed by white people, no one seems to care. And then they make laws. Uh, and it was basically literally jazz musicians, which shouldn't surprise you, um, somehow. And uh, some actors, Hollywood people, things like that. And then it got a little more into the mainstream. In fact, in 1954, Robert Mitchum, you know the actor Robert Mitchum? Sort of classic film noir guy. Ended up going to jail for six months for possession. Which, you know, people, that happens now, but you don't think of a guy in the early 50s, pre-Elvis, like pre-rock and roll. So, you know... Kudos to Robert Mitchum. Um, I always thought he was cool. I'm not saying drugs are cool, but I'm saying Robert Mitchum was cool. Uh, okay, a little bit about about uh, absorption, distribution, all that stuff. It's an exceedingly liquid, soluble substance, THC. Um, and when you administer it orally, it's really slowly absorbed. Three times the length, the you need three times the dose for smoke pot when you eat it. That's typical, though, right, when you have oral absorption. Um, and you end up with a longer-lasting high or a longer-lasting therapeutic window, if you want to call it that. Now, again, this is great if you're taking perhaps as anti-nausea medication for a long sea voyage or a car trip. I think this would make some sense. Um, smoking works way better. 50% uh, of the THC gets to your lungs right away and then almost directly to your brain. Now, the thing is... You might be thinking, Dave, you said that it's better to have, to smoke, it's always better uh, delivery method is to smoke it. Uh, you were talking about chemo. Well, the thing is, the nausea is pretty damn intense with chemotherapy. So smoke marijuana is going to be a much better approach. Dave? Yes? Talking about the different ways of, um, like, you can eat it, or, like, you can smoke it, the effects will be the higher difference. So if you smoke it, it's more kind of like... Uh, in your head? Yeah, and this is often described as a full-body stone, yeah, yeah. right, uh, by people I've met. Uh, I actually have never have uh, done that because it's just never, it didn't appeal to me. I want food to taste good, so no. But um, it may just be that it's it is slow absorption. I actually don't know the answer to that. That's just a guess. I really don't know. But it's probably just the slow absorption and the long so you don't, you tend to get, again, I said seriously, from what I understand, because I, I haven't done this, you don't get the real super high moment that you get from uh, smoking out of a bong, where you get the, oh, God, I'm so high, I can't feel my brain, you know. Right? So, yeah, but I don't know the answer, though. It could just be that you have to eat a whole lot for that to happen. It's just a waste to me. Um... 
A lot of the compounds created during the burning are also psychoactive. It's metabolized in the liver. This shouldn't surprise you. Everything is. Um, other places, too, it'll get metabolized in the, in the lungs if it's smoked a little bit, and it'll get metabolized in the intestines if it's eaten. A lot of the metabolites are active. Uh, cannab cannabidiol, which we'll talk a little bit about shortly, actually blocks the metabolism of THC. So it can make a high, longer lasting. It does other things, too, which we'll talk about. Uh, the indica uh, uh, variant, perhaps species, has a lot more, the ratio of cannabidiol to THC is a lot higher in indica. It isn't sedated. Um, okay, how is the, this is really kind of cool. Uh, synthetic cannabinoid uh, levantredol uh, was, had been developed, and a radioactive version of this that could be traced, right? You can make a radioactive version so you can trace it, was given to rats. This is in about 1986, um, One lab over in the, in, in the Institutes of, National Institutes of Mental Health in Bethesda, Maryland, another lab that was also working on cannabinoids found a gene that coded for a receptor site. <coughs> um, they compared their maps of where the cannabinoid went to where this, this was coding for and in fact, they matched up perfectly. So now we know the gene that codes for the cannabinoid receptor, uh, for a cannabinoid receptor, um, which is pretty neat. It's sort of serendipity. That's why I just said science is cool. I have this idea in my head that they bumped into each other in the hall and they picked up each other's maps and looked at I'm sure it didn't work that way, but I like to think it's like that. <laughs> kind of like how the Reese's peanut butter cup was discovered. Chocolate over my peanut butter. That's peanut butter all over my chocolate. It's delicious. It's an old ad. Too old for all of you. But I like mentioning it. Anyway, that's kind of neat. The discovering of receptors was something that was a big thing in the 80s. Right? Just one of those things that was, uh, you know, hair metal, uh, bad clothes, journey, uh, and discovering receptor sites. It was just a thing that was happening a lot. In the, the first ones that were discovered, of course, were, was the opiate receptors. We talked about that. So it was big in the 80s. Um, where are the receptors for THC? So we can we see the coding. We can take a look at the, where these things... Uh, the cortex. Well, okay. Let's think about effects and not be surprised by where the receptors are. The cortex. Well, it does affect higher-order cognition. Hippocampus. Now, there are memory effects with marijuana. Right, there are the associative effects that you always get with almost every every drug. You know, you learn on the drug, you remember better on the drug than you would be off the drug, but you remember better completely when you're off for both. There are also short-term memory effects. Right? People lose their train of thought. Wasn't uh, there kind of a bit of a paper on how THC receptors are kind of necessary in, like, their non-drug use for oh, yeah. getting rid of useless short-term? Uh, I've heard this, yes. That, that the, I mean, look, we have our own cannabinoids in our brains. We make our own. Yeah. If there are receptors for something, that means we have something very similar that we make in our brain. You just don't get it in industrial quantities like you do off a bong hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it apparently is useful for filtering out, and this is in hippocampus, in CA1 of hippocampus. It's a, what, what these circuits do is apparently help filter out useless information that we're remembering. 
right? We just don't tend to get it in these giant hits of it, which then filters out everything, right? And this is why people, when they have discussions when they're high, they lose their, you know, they lose their train of thought because they can't remember what they just said. Remember that? Yeah. You know that kind of thing? Yeah. Sarah Bellum, you have trouble with balance. Again, uh, I know not everybody in here is somebody who smokes honey. We don't time, but probably all seen somebody who has. And there's this sort of a weird dizziness. Um, basal ganglia. Well, now we're getting down to connections. Well, we're getting here, that's connections between the older sort of limbic parts of the brain and the cortex. Makes some sense there. The spinal cord, uh, this is cool because, in fact, it has some anesthetic quantities, or qualities, I'm sorry. Brainstem. Now we're starting to get into sleep and wakefulness. And oftentimes the end of an evening of doing this involves really, really powerful urges to sleep. Hypothalamus. Gee, if I understand correctly, when people smoke marijuana, they get the munchies. Munchies are a real thing. A part of this, by the way, is because one of the things that THC does is it makes, because of the, um, theory is, because of what happens when, when, when um, you don't habituate to things as quickly. Um, well, habituation is a kind of learning. Remember, and learning and memory, okay? So you don't habituate as, as, as quickly. So you're already hungry because of hypothalamic stimulation. Plus, you don't habituate to smells. Now, smells are, are in fact, most of what we call taste is smell. Right? So what ends up happening, this is pretty new stuff. This just came out in January. Um, giving rats uh, THC and then other control rats, there's like 23 control groups, one of those drug experiments. But one of the things that happens is the rats that are given the THC don't habituate to odors like the rats that are not given THC. So part of this is it makes food taste better. Well, you get well. So you, know, you get used to something, right? That's habituation sort of uh, more sensory adaptation, really, right? Okay. So the first bite you take of a can of corn that you've opened—that may have been nice to see see my brother do this once, um, and his friend, who I probably shouldn't name. I don't mind naming Dan, but uh, I'm not going to name his friend because his friend's a school principal. He could probably get in trouble. Um, wasn't then, but they're eating a can of corn with the water and everything. And they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten. Um, things you do. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm not saying it's smart. You would get used to the flavor pretty quickly. And then go, Ugh. but no, it's like every bite is a new taste explosion. Spleen? What's the spleen do? Biology students, tell me what the spleen does. Even better, psychology students, tell me the spleen. Filters <laughs> blood? Yeah. What else does it do? Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, in fact, one of the things that THC actually has uh, antibiotic effects, and this may be the cause of it here. 
actually boosting your immune system. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonder drug. Okay, bloodshot eyes are a real effect. It's a real effect. Um, but that was the kid in grade nine that had the visine in his locker, and then, then you found out why. But uh, droopy eyes are a real effect too. Your muscles get relaxed. You get that. Another question for you, Dave. Please. Um, bloodshot eyes, is that just from smoking? No. That, that's what no, that'll show, it, that'll, it. that'll show up from eating it too. Yep. However, pupils dilated is not a real effect. Longest time we thought pupils dilated was a real effect of marijuana. Turns out that most people smoke weed in the dark or in the not very light. Like, you don't, I don't know. Again, maybe things are different now. When I was a young man, we didn't all get together in a really well-lit room and smoke weed. <laughs> Just didn't. It would be a dark room and you'd listen to Bob Marley. Or perhaps Tubular Bells by Mike Goldfield. Anybody? Yeah? Theme from The Exorcist. It's like a one long song, the whole album. <laughs> you get the dries. I don't know what they call that now. We used to call it the dries. You get your dry mouth really badly. Or as a friend of mine once called it, Goonie Mouth. We called it that because we were at the movie The Goonies. And we might have been high. <laughs> and then my friend, I keep almost naming him, uh, Eddie, which is not his name, uh, was like doing the... I was like, stop it! Everybody can... Of course, you get a little paranoid. Everybody can hear you! You've got Goonie mouth! <laughs> the movie The Goonies isn't good, straight, or high. Um, munchies, get a real effect. We just talked about that. Actually, one of the uh, clinical uses that's being investigated is using marijuana as a way to get people with eating disorders to eat. Had some effect. It's, it's, it's early days on this work. Increased heart rate. Uh, that can be, for people their first time, can be actually very un unpleasant. When you're, when you're ready for it and you expect it to happen, it's not that big a deal, but it can be unpleasant for some people. Yeah, I've got, I've got a friend who's a paramedic who says the number of calls they get from people yeah. who smoke marijuana think they're having a heart attack. Yeah, because it leads also, there's the paranoia, and yeah, then there's the increased heart rate. And if, <laughs> especially if you haven't smoked a lot of marijuana in your life, it's just behavioral tolerance. You're used to it. The first few times you do it, it's, that can be very unsettling. And of course, you're not thinking straight. The idea is, is to not think straight. <laughs> Dude, call 911. I'm having a heart attack. You know, you're probably not. You get reduction on the pressure, in the, uh, reduction of pressure in the fluid in your eye, which is why it's a great medication for glaucoma. In fact, the first thing uh, I remember marijuana ever being used for clinically, I remember hearing about this in the 1970s on 60 Minutes. Uh, was using it for glaucoma patients. And they, were, they would show people, they wouldn't show their faces though, and they were talking about like discreet with, you know, their voices changed because they were doing something really illegal. But then these doctors saying, yeah, I just tell people to go find a guy and smoke some weed because it's helping with their glaucoma. Um, this is an interesting thing. This is in, uh, this is a medical, medical marijuana dispensary in, um, San Francisco, and that's a Girl Scout selling Girl Scout cookies right out front. That's a smart kid. No, it did. This is recent. This, this, this is the one in San Francisco. When this was, I think, the first kid, once this was seen by kids in, in Washington State and Colorado, where it's recreational, they're just lining up, setting up little stalls, pulling in hundreds of bucks a day. Because imagine that. You come out of there, and you say, Cookies. <laughs> I didn't know they had cookies here. You know, so 
because uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. Well, he's high and he just put the gloves on and he thought they felt cool. <laughs> it's probably something like that, right? San Francisco also gets chilly. I don't know why he'd be wearing surgical gloves like that. <laughs> Maybe he just, or they could be rubber gloves. Perhaps he just cleaned the sink inside the inside the, the store. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He's injecting marijuana. That's right. He's injecting them. Um, it's anti-nausea medication. I've talked about that. Uh, it's an anti-convulsant. Uh, there's been a lot of success. People with epilepsy, if nothing else works, smoke marijuana. Wonderful report I saw on CBC about four or five years ago. And it was a kid who was about 13 years old. And he had trouble with everything. Because he had a severe epilepsy. You know, cognitively, doing, he's fine. But you know, he, he has seizures every day at school. And then his... Um, his mom got him some weed, and he would take a couple of hits off a bong before school every day. And he'd go to school. His grades had increased, and the doctor's like, oh, the new meds are working. She's like, yeah, they are. Um, so antibiotic, I talked about that. There are sleep effects. A uh, little lack of REM, and then REM rebound the next day. The, the standard sleep effects we hear about. Uh, everything becomes very funny. Um, and it is it. You should probably record one of these conversations sometimes and find out that everything you're saying is so not funny. But it just seems funny. You know, for example, like you're writing the Pope a letter. That may have been something me and some friends did one time. We thought it was a funny letter. We, we, we posted it as well. He never replied. <laughs> he never replied. That might have been the night me and my friend... Eddie ate a whole chicken. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just ate a whole chicken. Came into Steve's house. Wrong name, see? Because um, this was, I was young. I was 21. And uh, it's like a movie. It was like every movie you've ever seen. We come in, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And his parents knew what we were doing. It was no big deal. We were in our 20s. You know? And we were pretty responsible people. And he's like, I got to go pee. Don't eat that chicken. <laughs> my mom made a chicken so we can have chicken sandwiches throughout the week. Don't eat the chicken. So, of course, you know, we did. <laughs> he comes back 90 seconds later and we've eaten a whole chicken. Like, it's just, because, you know, a small little chicken, you could do that. Two guys, two big boys. Comes back and we got, like, chicken fat all over our faces. And we're holding bones. He's like, did you guys eat that chicken? We're like, no. <laughs> Good thing is we defrosted another chicken and roasted it and everything was fine. Um, I have plans, but that's, you know. See, this is interesting, showing the sort of social acceptability. If these were heroin stories, I wouldn't be telling them to you. Are you mood changes. Um, people can get happy, gets happier. Anxious gets more anxious sometimes, but not always. Usually it's a little calmer. But sad gets sad. The anxious part usually goes away. Like, it, it can calm you down. But people that are sad can get sadder when they smoke weed, which is, um, it seems to amplify intense emotion. And it's got analgesic properties. There are memory effects. It affects recall and not recognition. Uh, rec recall is, I give you a list of words, recall them. Recognition is here, the list of words, which ones were on the list. Now, why is that? Well, frankly, it's probably because recognition is easier. Recognition is easier than recall. Right? 
Um, if I actually give you the item, it's easier to recall if it's on the list than if I ask you, ask you to generate it for me. That's a state, it's called recognition failure of recall. It's just it's a thing. Uh, Short-term memory effects as well. That could be a hippocampal effect. That they probably both are. There are attentional effects, obviously. Again, you, you, paying attention to more than one thing at a time, divided attention becomes exceedingly difficult. So don't drive a car. There are certain things, don't operate heavy machinery. You know, this is it. Recreational drugs, whatever. Um, putting other people's lives in danger, bad. There are biphasic effects on spontaneous motor activity. Biphasic meaning at the beginning, there's a little bit more activity. And then later on, after the dose has been given, there's less. And this, of course, corresponds to the way people act. They get excited and then they calm down. And they start, you know, saying stupid things. There's a taming effect. Again, remember rats like to stay at the edges of a field uh, because basically they're scared. But they'll go into the middle later on. There are timing effects. Neat data collected by a friend of mine, John Crystal. Um, I talked about this. You get rats to... His wife's a cannabinoid researcher. He's a animal cognition researcher, so they put their sort of stuff together. One of the neat things that John found was that when you get rats to time something, and I've showed you this before, you get a nice normal light curve, right? So let's say that's at 30 seconds, and you have the rats, most of their responding to around 30 seconds. And you know that with cocaine, for example, it speeds up your clock. With diazepam, it slows down your clock. Um, THC does this. You get the same number of responses, basically, but the, you get more error. So your clock's just as accurate, but you, you have, your standard deviation is bigger. You make more mistakes. That's kind of a cool experiment. Is the reverse tolerance? Uh, a lot of people talk about this, so you'll never be high the first time you smoke it. That's more likely a behavioral thing where you just don't know what to expect, and most people expect it to be like alcohol because the only other mind-altering drug you've ever taken is alcohol. So it's not so much that you... You hear all kinds of things. Oh, it gets stored up in your brain, man, and then released. All kinds of dumb things stoners say. Um, no. There's mild withdrawal, but almost like a case of the stupids the next day. Had it. Uh, you know how you talked about like acute tolerance and... and chronic tolerance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does this happen I know it's chronic tolerance. Is there acute... Yeah. I don't think there's acute tolerance that I've read, but there could be. I, I've never read that before. <clears throat> withdrawal is mild. It's, it's REM rebound. It's a little bit of confusion the next day. Other species don't do this. You can get other species to try all kinds of things. It's hard to get animals to, to, to work for this. Um, people will titrate their doses if it's available, uh, meaning that they'll keep a sort of steady high going. Uh, it's usually smoked in groups. It's an interesting thing. Uh, unlike alcohol... One of the interesting things about marijuana is that there's a whole sort of socially ritualistic aspect around it. Also, 
if you walk in, now, this is one. It's, it's a rare thing that if you see somebody you don't know and you walk into a party and they're passing a bong around, you're just offered it. Right? If you don't know somebody, you don't usually, if you're at a big party, a lot of people, you don't say, oh, here, have some of my beer. So it's an interesting point that it's smoked in groups in a social... Why is that? I don't know. Um, it's, it's an interesting sort of sociological question. I don't know the answer to it. Um, most users are casual users, meaning they aren't devoting their lives to it. Just like most alcohol users are casual users. right? Most, alco- most, most alcohol users are people that wake up in the morning... Uh, and get drunk. There are people like that. Most people don't do the you know, wake and bake kind of thing, right? There are people that do that. It's probably not a good way to live your life. Uh, there's, it's, it's ritualistic, which is interesting. Um, I'm talking about in Western society. I'm not talking about others, but there, there are rituals to it. There's the passing it around. There's the, you know, not... Uh, don't, don't, they still say Bogart? I don't know what the kids say now. We used to say that because, like, Humphrey Bogart sucking on the cigarette. You take too much and you keep it. Yeah, not an expression anymore. So there's sort of a, there's a set of rules. It's interesting. Um, now, that's all, th- those are the THC effects. Cannabidiol, which is the one in the indica strain, much bigger, uh, the ratio of cannabidiol with THC is higher. Um, it has antipsychotic effects. Neat. Uh, it actually decreases limbic system activity. Well, that's part gets hippocampus, that's amygdala. Okay, so it's still going to affect your memory. Um, there are fewer memory effects, though, caused by cannabidiol than those caused by THC. It's actually an antagonist to the cannabinoid receptor. So it's interesting. One of the things that it's doing is it has its own effect, but it's making it harder to operate a cannabinoid receptor. This might explain some of the differences people report in the two different strains, smoking in two different strains of marijuana. Uh, it's, a, it's a serotonin agonist, uh, and it has a stabilizing effect on NMDA receptors, uh, NMDA pathways. NMDA is important in all kinds of things, learning and memory, etc. So it may be that, and it's a 5 uh, sorry, a serotonin, I keep wanting to say 5-HD, but serotonin agonist, which might explain some of the sort of mood stabilizing effects it has. Again, compared to THC. Bad stuff from marijuana. Uh, violence. Uh, people used to say that. Yeah, there's violence. Drug, drug gangs have violence. You know why? Because marijuana is illegal. Um, if you are already psychotic, you know, schizophrenic, I wouldn't be smoking the marijuana. In fact, there are a lot of data suggesting that this can make the, 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 the THC actually makes people that already have things like paranoid schizophrenia makes it worse. Shouldn't surprise you. Think of some of these effects, the paranoia. You know, that's, you don't want that. So this is not something you give the schizophrenic. We'll 
talk shortly about something that gives schizophrenia. Didn't you just say that's psychotic, though? Uh, that's that's cannabidiol, but THC, on the other hand. So, I would avoid. I mean, it, look, if you're psychotic and you really want to smoke marijuana, you should probably smoke indica, and not sativa. But I still wouldn't suggest that. This is a term they used to use in the '60s because that means then people can have a freak out and have these sort of mini psychotic episodes. Typically, this is people getting too paranoid and people egging them on. Right? There's always one jerk friend of yours that does that to somebody who's never smoked it before. You know, your parents are coming right now, man. I heard them. They just called. And you're so stupid when you're high. You're going, really? Really? And then your heart is already beating faster. It's like, that's, that's not nice. That's much more of a social thing, likely. Is it a gateway drug? Um, okay. I will give you the argument both ways. The first way is, well, if you look at people that take heroin, they're much more likely to have smoked marijuana than people that haven't taken heroin. Okay, well, you know, that sounds kind of compelling. And when you ask them, what was the first drug you smoked, you did that was illegal, they say marijuana. Now, you should also remember that correlation is not causation. Because, you know, every single person that's a heroin addict has used a fork. So I think forks are the problem. Forks are a gateway utensil. Um, So that's the kind of logic, right? On the other hand, when you ask people that have taken heroin, do you like scary movies? Do you like roller coasters? Yes. It's much more likely that it's not in one leading to the other. It's just risky behavior. They're more risk prone. They like risky behavior. We talk about, sometimes in psychology, there's a term called repression versus sensitization. And just two different kind of ways of doing personality things. Repressors are people who don't want to know anything. And don't let people would say, I don't even want to go to the dentist because I might find out I need a cavity. I need a filling, so I'm just going to pretend that nothing's wrong. Then your sensitizers are people that read everything on the internet. Right? So it's that kind of thing, except it's like, I'm, there's one end which is, I don't want to do anything dangerous, I'm over here. I will always wear the appropriate clothing for the appropriate occasion. I will never even wear clip-on earrings. <laughs> you know, very, you know, and then over here it's people like, we should wreck stuff and do crimes. <laughs> um, they also tend to like, so it's that kind of continuum. So it's like the, it's that continuum sort of thing. So when you look at the people at the very extreme, tend to be more likely to be heroin addicts too. So it's likely that. It's likely not a gateway drug. Are there reproductive effects? Uh, we don't know the answer to that. I've, heard, I've read stuff both ways saying that it affects reproduction or it doesn't. It's productive for fetus. Um, cancer and lung disease, sure. I mean, we know that smoked uh, tobacco is bad for you. This is probably the case, except that people smoke 20 joints a day or 10. Typically, no. And especially with the higher yield cannabis that's available now, you take a couple of hits, right? You can go to BC and you get some of that stuff up there. Nobody smokes joints in BC. One hitters. They're walking in the street doing it too, which is kind of interesting. Pretty much tolerated. Well, most places, most bigger cities. Because you just don't have to smoke these great big amounts of, of, of marijuana. 
Besides, you probably couldn't. After like five joints, you probably go, where's my weed again? You wouldn't remember. So, is it? Yeah, for sure. I, don't, I, I mean, people that say, no, it's all, it's all healthy, man, are idiots. There's no way sucking smoke into your lungs is ever going to be healthy. That's impossible. But you're not sucking smoke into your lungs at the rate you do with cigarettes. Oops, we just tapped the ring. Oh, yeah, right, so that's that. Uh, questions about Mary Jane? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. And finally, our final topic. Hallucinogens. Where you might see something like that and think it's real. <laughs> so... substances that at less than toxic levels produce hallucinations. Now, a lot of these, and MDA, I talked about, ecstasy, ecstasy is a stimulant, but it also can produce hallucinations. So there are things that are, that can sort of go between two different classifications. Uh, so LSD is the sort of classic. Uh, this was discovered by Hoffman uh, in 1942 in Switzerland. Um, he ingested a quarter of a milligram of, of, of LSD. Now, if you know anything about LSD, that's a great deal of LSD. LSD doses are sold in micrograms. Okay? Now, a microgram is what? That's a milligram, microgram. We're talking four orders of magnitude smaller, right? It's like he ingested a thousand hits of acid. Hope he wasn't busy for the next couple of weeks. I should tell you something. It's very hard to overdose on acid. Okay? I'm not saying you should take that as a challenge. I'm saying it's hard to overdose on LSD. Um, he actually rode his bicycle home, which must have been interesting. This Swiss chemist riding his bicycle home, tripping, on a thousand hits of acid. You couldn't even tell anyone because he was They could have invented it. Yeah, well, that's right. You couldn't tell. You'd just be going, oh, well, oh, I'm just seeing things and stuff. It's people say it in German. The problem was put him in an institute. No, he was fine. He went back eventually to work after about a week. <laughs> Where were you? Well, no, because he invented it that afternoon. Yeah. yeah. So I would think he'd be psychotic. Yeah, you would think so too, right? But he basically tripped and had a trip and then was like, he was a little concerned about himself, got checked out, and he was fine. Uh, he basically was pretty much opposed to people using it at all. Um, it's kind of funny, too, because a lot of blotter papers and stuff have his image on it. He's pretty much the father of LSD. Well, he's exactly what he is, yeah. Now, he didn't think it should be his recreationally. He thought it had uses, uh, which we'll talk about. He did think it had uh, clinical uses, potentially. Um, there was a lot of work done giving it to psychiatrists and psychologists in the 1950s to show them what schizophrenic, schizophrenia is like. The problem is it doesn't give auditory hallucinations as much as it gives visual hallucinations, and schizophrenics don't have visual hallucinations. So, in fact, for that purpose, it wasn't deemed to be any good. It was also used um, experimentally on uh, psychiatric patients by uh, the CIA. 
And I know that sounds like a conspiracy, but that's actual actually happened. Then they also did military tests where they were trying to like depersonalize yep. the enemy, and there's mm -hmm. that video. Yep. Uh, and a lot of that work was done at McGill University. Nice. Yeah. There you go, Canada. Funded by the CIA in the Department of the U.S. and Canadians' Departments of Defense. So it was a different time. Um, it was made illegal in the United States and here uh, in the early 60s. It's hard to make something illegal that just gets invented, right? So it took about 20 years. No one was taking it. It was, the, it was, it was, there was an underground movement of people taking it, basically. Um, it's usually taken orally. It's uh, can be put anywhere with mucous membranes, though. Uh, your mouth, of course, is the most commonplace. The eye, there's always some idiot that does that. Take a microdot of acid and put it in his eye. You put it in your eye, man. It's totally different. No, it's not. You're an idiot. There's some, some little microdots there, a little blotter acid, one with Bart Simpson on it, which I think is kind of funny. Um, you can put it other places as well. I've heard that. Just leave that where it is. Like, what kind of idiot? Anyway. Why would you think it would make any difference? You know, it just makes me wonder. So LSD is, is, is very similar to serotonin. It's very similar to serotonin, actually. It has about a 110-minute half-life. Uh, magic mushrooms or psilocybin are similar uh, in their effect, and they're also, they, they are, are also... Um, Similar to serotonin. They're ser serotonin agonists. Timothy Leary started out with these. Um, Timothy Leary was an American um, psychologist at uh, Harvard. And he was interested in this. Uh, he actually was one of the people that was experimenting a little bit, giving uh, LSD to in prison populations. And this wasn't done in any way. This was done to sort of... The idea is to expand our consciousness, man. So they're not, prisoner, they're not criminals anymore. Um, Larry was an interesting fellow. I have a friend who considers him one of the greatest people in the history of the world. Scarborough did. Considers him a hero. Uh, I think that's a little strong. Um, Larry eventually was fired. You eventually get fired when you start handing out magic mushrooms to your classes. Tenured or not. When you hand out shrooms to your class and say, let's all take these now. That's a little bit a little. There's a line, and you don't cross it. There's one of them is don't <coughs> hand drugs out to students. Here's uh, this is also like LSD. Morning glory seeds. Uh, you can go buy morning glory seeds at Canyon Tire. Really seriously, just get some mass. I mean, seriously. Harmy, which isn't taken much anymore. Uh, name which is toad licking. Uh, these are these. Um, these these blue toads. They're in Australia. And in fact, it was discovered, this was a paper in Nature, saying that they basically had a, a toxin, like they're, they're, they're po the poison on them was basically LSD. And same effects. So this comes out mid-80s, paper in Nature. Really interesting stuff. Of course, it's a defense mechanism, right? Think about apple somatic, a lot of you guys take your own behavior. It's an apple somatic animal. It's brightly colored. It's blue. It's the, you know, the toad for Azurius, or views, I guess they call it now, right? Um, and it's, it, it's got this poison on it. What happens? An animal eats one, 
and trips for a day. It's never going to eat those toads again. Because see, animals don't walk around kangaroos because it's Australia. I guess. Wallabies. Koalas. Well, koalas just eat eucalyptus. Sometimes, though, they enjoy toad. I just made that up. But you don't have these, you know, whatever. Tasmanian devils. Dingoes. I want to open up the doors of perception. Going to eat one of these towns. You know, it's, it's very unpleasant probably for them. And they don't do it again. It's a defense. So this comes out. And then somehow it gets turned into people in Australia are licking toads. <laughs> Have people in Australia licked toads? Yes, it's happened. Um, however, Australia is the most urban country in the world. Most people know it's 90% of people in Australia live in cities. It's probably possible to get acid there. You don't have to go look around and go, I wonder if there's any toads around when you lick. It's kind of more prevalent in their operations again. Well, it's going to be in the outback because you're not going to have a lot of these toads sitting around in the city. Yeah, that's why the one to go out there. These guys are like norepinephrine and acetylcholine, MDMA, which is ecstasy. Uh, STP, which no one takes anymore. It's a sort of a 60s drug. It's not the oil. Uh, mescaline and nutmeg. Seriously, nutmeg. By the way, mescaline is not mescal. That's like tequila. The worm does not hold mescaline. And besides, what's got worm in it, it's not tequila. It's mescal. Mescal is a kind of alcoholic drink. Just because it says mescal doesn't mean that it's mescaline. That, if that was the case, then that there's also a kind of lettuce that's called mescaline. Mescaline. So, is that also going to get you high? No. Just because words sound the same doesn't mean they they do the same thing. So many people, stupid people. Yeah, you know it's full of acid, man. You should eat the worm. No, you're an idiot. Nutmeg. Speaking of idiots, I've seen people try to get get to hallucinate off eating nutmeg. So on the bus once in <laughs> That's the place in the eighties. In the eighties. Well, I just saw guys with bags of nutmeg eating it. And I was uh, come back from school, I was going to Western undergrad, and I changed buses downtown, and I got on the bus that took me towards home, and it's the bus that came from uh, Fanshawe College, and then it goes up towards my house. And I guess they were Fanshawe students, just a guess, I'm not sure. But as a Western student at the time, you just thought everything bad and stupid done was done by community college students, which isn't fair, but I thought that. And these guys are sitting there, and they're just eating nutmeg. And it's like, dude, you know how much you have to ingest? you got to get to near-toxic levels of nutmeg. you got to almost hit the LD50 for nutmeg, which is a lot. You know, it's like 500 grams for an average adult. It's like eating a pound of nutmeg. You're going to get kind of sick first, I think. But nutmeg will make you high. Uh, mandrake. Mandrake, that's great because uh, it's related to... Mandrake is also related to deadly nightshade. I would not ingest anything with the word deadly in it. I just said it. You don't worry about the name, but when some guy a long time ago said, this is, this is, here's the nightshade, and this is the deadly nightshade. <laughs> yeah, I'll go over here to the nightshade. It's like there's sumac, which is a great spice, and there's poison sumac. You don't eat the poison sumac. Um, related to potatoes, by the way, 
which is one of the reasons that when potatoes were brought to the New World, or from the New World to the Old World, a lot of people were like, I'm not going to eat that, it's poison. They, they were perfectly happy to smoke tobacco like crazy. <laughs> like, I'm not going to eat potatoes? What are you, crazy? Uh, PCP is another one. It's uh, also called angel dust. PCP has... Um, PCP has a reputation for giving people super strength. It doesn't. It's not like it turns you into a superhero. But in the 70s, when PCP came out, one of the things it does, these, a lot of these things can act as what are called, um, well, the classic one here, I guess I'll just, it's ketamine, yeah. Special K or ketamine is a dissociative analgesic. It can actually, the reason it can be used as an uh, anesthetic, rather, the reason it can be used as an anesthetic, one of the things that it does is it dissociates you from your body, basically. You feel like you're not there. So this is why it's not used very much in human uh, uh, medicine anymore. It's used in animal medicine a lot. But people get dissociated, right? Same thing happens with angel dust. Um, so you get hallucinations, and you get this dissociated feeling. Now, when that happens, and cops arrest you, you and your judgment's impaired, you might fight back. And it seems like people have super strength because they're hitting like three, four cops. That's super strength. That's super stupid level of, of smarts. Well put, by the way. Uh, same thing can happen with, with, with Special K, which makes it, I mean, I would, there are certain things I'd never touch, and that's, that's on the list. That's on the list. We're going to hear about Special K presentation, right? Let's steal any thunder. That's cool. There's Timothy Leary. Man, look at the world. Um, there's some mushrooms there. One of the reasons I've always avoided magic mushrooms, well, mostly always, um, is that mushrooms, there's poison mushrooms too. And if the person who's got mushrooms doesn't know what they are, you can die. Small amounts of, of poisonous mushrooms kill. But it's natural, man. Okay, um, there's tolerance to, here we're talking about LSD. It develops very quickly and disappears. There's little or no withdrawal. Hmm. There's usually a lot of sleep. That's about it. Uh, Non-humans don't. See, notice that none of these things are operating your reward system, right? What they're doing is making things interesting. You get, you know, hallucinating if you're with the right set of people is probably a great deal of fun. The biggest effects are the perceptual effects, the fact that, you know, walls move. And... See, this is always my fear. This is one of the reasons I never touch this stuff is because I would be afraid that I would start seeing the walls coming in on me. And I just, I wouldn't like that. There can be good stuff with these things. This is kind of surprising. Um, this just came out two days ago. I read this paper this morning. That's why you can see it's a different slide. Um, there's this new research with LSD and end-of-life care. These are palliative care people. These are people with uh, terminal cancer. These are people that are going to be dead within a year. Okay? Uh, they're given LSD. This is work by uh, Gasser et al. In 2014, this is in the uh, journal. I can pull it up my computer. I literally read this this morning while eating waffles. Um, it's actually quite cool because what this group did is they're doing basically group therapy 
for end-of-life care. Look, when you're dying, and you're aware of it, right, it's not entirely pleasant. It's, it's, it's not a, a good experience. So you want to make people as comfortable as you can. Comfortable as you can. So what Gasserdell did is they gave people LSD. Uh, this work was done in uh, Switzerland. And the subjects report uh, gaining uh, valuable insight into their condition. Uh, one of the subjects reported, now he, he, he knows this is an hallucination, by the way. They're told they're taking acid. So a guy who was uh, 67 years old, uh, he reported seeing his dead father. And that's pretty neat. And you know, he didn't really see his father. But it allowed him to, have, to be at peace with the fact that he was going to die. And that's pretty cool. Uh, this is the first paper I've read <laughs> that, you know, that, that has a date that is in 1948 about using LSD in a clinical setting. Right? Uh, so, this is, uh, it's fascinating stuff. So maybe the case, in fact, that you know, when you guys all face this, or when I face this, a typical thing will be, oh, you go, you take, drop some acid. Right? What did Steve Jobs say about Bill Gates? He would have, uh, wish he would have dropped a little bit of acid sometime in his life. He would have made better products. Uh, there's also a clinical trial going on right now in British Columbia for using, uh, this is the most, by the way, uh, acronyms ever used in a sentence. Clinical trial for the use of MDMA in PTSD is underway in BC. So using ecstasy for people that have post-traumatic stress disorder. Now one of the things, one of the effects of ecstasy, besides all the, the, um, the hallucinations, one of the effects is people tend to act more social. People tend to talk a lot and open up a lot. So it may be a pharmacological kickstart to group therapy, which is how this is going to be used in this, in this uh, clinical trial. This, this literally, the news broke on this two days ago. This is why, like I said, this is a new slide. It's on the website now, so if you want to download this version, it's up there. But up until three days ago, I didn't have a good stuff slide for this because there really, nobody knew. But it looks like, and this is great. I mean, whole, look, if anything can help people that are going to die soon or that have post-traumatic stress disorder, great. Okay. So let's hope. could be useful. Um, all right, questions about that? If anybody wants to read that paper, I can, I can send it to you, the one about the LSD, because it is quite Oh, for your, for your paper. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll send you a link. It was pointed out to me by a colleague of mine uh, in Australia who was busy licking totes. Uh, actually, he posted on his Facebook uh, wall. Isn't it great? Isn't the world great? Okay. Hey, uh, ODs, overdosing on these things, is exceedingly rare. Um, in fact, it may be impossible. Oh, well. Okay. You can overdose on anything. But the amount you would have to take is probably so high that you could never get that much acid. 
or that many magic mushrooms. I think the stomach grafting and stuff alone would be enough to stop the mushrooms. With the mushrooms, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, you would have to eat so many of the damn things that you'd get. And besides, they taste horrible. I'm, I'm cold. <laughs> Unless you make them into tea or eat them with just a big handful of peanut butter. Again, a little tip. <laughs> been a very long time since I've done that. I've never taken it. I won't, I won't take... There's a, some things I won't take generally, and they're because anyone with grade 8 level lab bench skills can make them, and I don't want a dumb guy making drugs for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want some guy who's just an idiot who could screw up, and then I get something dangerous. So I stay away from a lot of these things. Because, like, no. Walter White might have been a smart guy. Right? But there were a lot of dumb guys in that show, too. Just remember that. Uh, psychotic reactions are possible. This is especially true if you're already having psychological issues. Because you're basically turning on psychosis is what you're doing. You're, making, you're not going to have reality testing anymore. You're going to see stuff that isn't there. Now, if you are with the wrong set of people or in the wrong situation... Um, you could end up having what's called a you know, bad trip, right? People that sort of egg you on to make it worse. Most people that talk about taking acid say that we should do it with, there should be someone straight with you at all times with the group of you doing acid. So somebody can sit there and talk you down if you get a little freaked out and sort of guide you through the experience. Um, that's, that's what's called being, you know, that's it's responsible drug taking is what that is. Uh, people, our acid flashbacks are a real thing, by the way. This is another possible, they're, they're rare, but they happen. No one knows why. And it's not because you still have LSD in your system, please. It's probably a memory effect. It's probably not unlike how deja vu probably works, which is that there's more and more mittens and hats up here every day. Um, by the end of the term, we will have so much stuff, it always happens. Uh, it's probably that you're in a similar situation and it triggers a memory. And it's a, it's, a, it's a drug memory, basically. But acid flashbacks are a real thing. And I'm not saying that they happen to everybody. They're pretty rare. But it's a documented thing. And I don't want the guy flying my plane to have an acid flashback. Right? i got to avoid the dragons all of a sudden. I don't want that. <laughs> I want the guy flying the plane to be flying the plane. Um, I, this is one of the classics you heard in the 70s that, and the 80s when the just say no to drugs, just have a war on drugs sort of idea came up was that it damages your chromosomes which is the most wonderful, general, ridiculous thing to say. You know, if you pour milk on a cell, it'll damage the chromosomes and I mean human mother's milk. So that's, that work has been pretty much debunked. It's, it's out there. Uh, the idea of taking 25 micrograms, is, let's say of something could, of, of, of LSD could damage your chromosome seems exceedingly unlikely. Right. Um, these drugs aren't really for everybody. Uh, they're not, I mean, again, it's not something I'd want to do because uh, I, I don't like the idea of, uh, my perceptions are bad enough as it is. You know, if it could somehow make me see better just for a while, I'm going to try it. I don't know. But it's not an no, idea of a good time. But other people like it. And it's, 
with the right set of people. Don't drive a car, all those things, you know, the regular caveat. With the right set of people, it's probably something like LSD is, a, is, a, is a, probably a pretty safe choice. Right. Uh, questions about these drugs? Yes. For the flashbacks, I'm curious. Um, is there a way for them to test then if someone's going to have them so that you say don't have a pilot? That's no. Gonna... No, that's the thing. So someone can easily become it, a pilot it, and just know that they might have them. It's rare. I mean, it's not something... I know it was made out to everybody when they were in grade 8 the cops showed up to tell them about drugs that it happens all the time. And it's just not true. But it does happen. Like, it's a real effect. And it's something to be concerned about because... You don't want that. I mean, that's when you're taking acid, you're, you're ready for it. You know that's coming. You know it's coming. You don't know it's coming when you're flying a plane or walking down the street or cooking dinner or something. You know, that's the problem. Um, I think one of the things that to wrap stuff up for sort of my part of this class and it'll be the last podcast, so we should you know, wrap it up that way, is that while you can say what you will about recreational drugs, and I mean, there are bad things. Every one of these slides, uh, slideshows almost always had a, here's the bad things that can happen. A lot of the bad things happen because drugs are illegal, because you have to buy them from criminals, because it's criminal activity, because you have to hang out with bad people, go to a bad part of town, and do something covertly. The negative effects of things like heroin, which I'm, I don't recommend anybody takes, by the way, um, those are basically sharing needles is one of the biggest negative effects. 23%, remember, it was 23% of American mainline drug users are HIV positive. You'd be less likely to share needles if this was done in using harm reduction, safe injection sites, etc. Um, marijuana is the biggest cash crop in North America. Uh, it's becoming, it, it's become legal in two states, the United States, to use it recreationally and to buy it. It's, that's an interesting experiment I think we're watching happening right now because I doubt that the state of Washington and the state of Colorado will become lawless, dystopian, post-nuclear wastelands. I imagine they'll kind of be like Holland, like things, life will just move on. Uh, and police won't have to be arresting people and throwing them in jail for possession of marijuana. They can go after people, you know, doing other crimes. So I think that's an interesting experiment we're going to see because it used to always be the case. You don't always bring up the Dutch example that people would say, yeah, but that's Europe. They're crazy over there. Now it's like, no, that's the United States of America, man. It's happening there. And I mean, think about this. The leader of the political party in this country that's in, been in first place in the polls for two years believes we should legalize marijuana. Turns out he's high most of the time. No, I just made that part up. But it could happen here, and I think we're starting to see that. I'm not saying that I think it's everybody should do it. I just say I don't think everybody should drink alcohol. But we might be able to solve some societal ills and open up and have fewer people in prison uh, if we allow adults who were ID'd when they bought it and we'd have tax revenue from it, which we could certainly spend on education programs saying, you know, this is a really bad life choice to do nothing but get eyes. You know, because it is. Yeah, we all know that one guy. 
There was the one guy in school that really all you ever see him now he's just stoned all the time. That's a bad choice that guy's made. Get him some other kind of reinforcement. Anybody have any thoughts on that or? So a question actually. Yeah. Would they uh, retroactively release people in jail for petty possession? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, money's well, unknown. That's a huge number. It's a, there's a lot of people, especially in the states. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority of people in prison in the United States are in prison for drug offenses. Yeah. For the uh, liberal position, they said that they would release. Okay, so if that happened in Canada, they would, and if there was a majority government, because yeah. it, it would not pass a minority government, probably. Um, but I'll tell you something, I don't know if you heard this, but the Conservative Party of Canada is now looking at their position, too. The party of Stephen Harper, which we tend to think, well, hey, is more conservative, much more socially conservative. MPs have been coming out, and I don't know if you know about how our government works, but conservative MPs don't really open their mouths without asking Stephen Harper if he's okay first, are saying, drugs are bad, drugs are bad, but we really ought to rethink our drug laws. Because, remember, we saw that graph. Pete, the world's changing. That's interesting if that's the liberal position. I don't know what they're doing in, in Washington and Colorado. I honestly have no, no clue. That's a very good question. You know, because if some, some, something, something, some, suddenly something is no longer illegal, how could you keep the person in prison? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm of the opinion that it should all be legal, but that's probably an extreme. And heavily regulated. Sold only by in the government. But, but I mean, that's, I think I, I'm... Almost on a lunatic fringe with that position. Like I think heroin should be legal, but I mean to just buy for fun. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't want to take heroin. I think taking heroin is stupid. But you're a grown up, do whatever the hell you want to, buddy. Don't drive a freaking car around me. That's all I ask. But I'm a crazy leftist, so <laughs> I'm actually pretty much in the center of all those things. Other questions, comments, criticisms, kudos, other things are the cut. All right, uh, test on Tuesday. First presentation's on Thursday. For those of you that have a presentation on th Thursday, please, by Wednesday night, have emailed me your slides. Because I don't want to get them Thursday morning, and then I don't have them yet, and then we have the, your, your internet goes down. I can't mail them. I've lost them. Or don't say, no, no, I've emailed it to myself. I'll pull them up on your computer. No, you will email me your freaking presentation. Okay, please. Just, I have to set them all up and get them ready because we have six and one each day. On that note, thanks, guys. And uh, I teach you guys been a pleasure. Now you can teach me. Thanks.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.